I want to talk to you today about, and I'm going to use a phrase that's out of the Message Bible. You, uh, you don't have that on the screen, but we'll put the New, New King James up in a moment. But it, it, uh, the Message Translation actually uses the phrase of, uh, of talks about the rhythm of uh, grace, or it says unforced uh, rhythms of grace. And that's what we're titling this. It's a direct quote out of the Message Translation. And that's why in Matthew chapter 11, uh, Jesus makes that famous statement, uh, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. And, uh, but the verse that I want you to see above that is verse 27. And we've talked about that for the past few Sundays where Jesus makes this statement. He said, all things have been delivered to me by my Father. And look what he says, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. Now that statement uh, uh, angered the Pharisees beyond imagination because they felt like that they knew the Father. They knew God. And, uh, but Jesus said, no one knows him but me and, and the one to whom the Son wills to, to reveal him. And then he makes this statement, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now I want you to listen to the message version of these same verses, okay? And I don't think we'll have this, this translation, but I just want to read this to you. Uh, it says, Jesus returned talking to the people, but now tenderly he says, the Father has given me all these things to do and to say. This is a unique father-son operation coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does. But I'm not keeping it to myself. Aren't you glad Jesus is not keeping it to himself? But he said, I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. And then he says this statement in verse 28, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live life freely and lightly. Can you say amen? Now, we've talked for the past few weeks, and I've made this statement. It's not my message today, but I want to hit it. But if you've never heard it before, it's going to sound like heresy to you. Because most of all of us in this room were raised up with this foundational theological statement that we are separated from God. And that, in other words, that because of sin, God had separated himself from us. You hear statements made like, and you've heard them so often that they sound like they're in the Bible. But I assure you, they're not. Uh, you make statements like, God is so holy, he can't look at sin. I mean, he's heard that statement made. God is so holy, he can't even look at sin. That's not in the Bible. It's in churches, and it comes out of pulpits, but it's not in the Bible. To say God can't look at sin is ridiculous. And, uh, and so, you know, but if you think that you are separated from God, then you have to come up with a, a way to get back with God. And I told you the classic picture is God's on this side, he's holy, and, and then there's a great chasm, and then we're on this side, and we're dirty, rotten sinners, and God don't really like us, he can't really stand us, and, you know, and, and it's wonder he don't just destroy us, and we got to try to get, you know, get across that chasm and get back to God. And it is at that junction that that is the birthplace of religion. In other words, that's the place that religion... And so, you know, when man comes up, now you're at the mercy of whoever comes up with a methodology how to get to God. And so they come up with all these different ways to get to God. And then the problem with that is you don't never know if you really made it across or not. And then if you do make it across, if you do something wrong, do you get kicked back across? And, and are you going back in two? And, you know, and you hear all these statements, well, God's turned you back, or you need to get back right with God, or you just need to get right with God. And, 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 and the reality is that man could never get right with God. And so that's why God sent Jesus, and that's why 2 Corinthians 5 and 19 says that God was in Christ, reconciling the sin of the world unto himself, not imputing, not keeping a record of men's trespasses against them. And over and over in the New Testament, we have verse after verse in 1 and 2 Corinthians and in Hebrews where it says that this new covenant 
that God gave will not keep record of wrongdoing. And yet we all, you know, were raised up where God's keeping a record. Some even went so far to say we're going to stand for God. He's going to play a video of all the things we've done that we hadn't repented of. And all kind of ridiculous stuff is said. And all these lies are very damaging to people and how they view God and how they see God. And we've talked about how that when the proof that you're not separated from God. You see, and see, some of you may be sitting there going, I think there's a verse in the Bible that says that, uh, you know, that our sins separated us from God. There is a, one verse in the whole Old Testament Bible, not a thing in the New Covenant, but there's one verse that says, God says, your sins have separated you from me. God never said, I separated from you. He said, your sins have separated you from me. So, in other words, when you do that, it affects how you see God. Your sin separates you from God. But God is never separated from man. Never has, never will. And listen to me, he's always been with you. And he's always been for you, whether you knew him or not. Jesus was the lamb that took away the sin of the what? Not the church, not the people that confessed him, not the people that prayed. But Jesus took away the sin of the world. Now, you have to decide whether you believe that or not. But if Jesus took away the sin of the world, when did he take it away? How many years ago? 2,000 years ago. Did that sin include yours? And what we don't understand is we don't even understand what sin is. And when I get to talking like this, there's so many tributaries and there's, there's so much to, that I want to tell you, but I just can't do it all in one Sunday. You, you, you know, one of the things that, that I encourage you to do, not because we're trying to sell books, is you get my book. You can go to Amazon.com. You can download it on a Kindle device. You can order the book or you can see somebody in the lobby and they'll get you one. And if you don't have the 20 bucks, just tell them I said, let you have it. That's how bad I want you to get it. And the book is entitled Miss Heard in Church. And I've been in church most all of my life. Got saved when I was 12, got away from God, you know, 19, came back and been with him ever since. Started preaching in 1985 officially, you know, uh, and, and been with God ever since. Pastored for over 34 years. And I'm still learning. And I, and, but I was raised in a church that sung Amazing Grace literally almost every Sunday, but nobody was ever amazed best I could tell about grace. And, I, and the reason I say that, and I don't mean this in a hard way, but I never heard one message on grace. Not one. And if I ever heard the word grace said at the pulpit, it was always in a negative connotation. It was like, don't think you're going to get by on greasy grace. It'd say greasy grace. That's not in the Bible either. They would say all kinds of statements like grace was a bad thing. And I believe, I'm not sure, but I think it's in Ephesians. You can help me, Apostle, if I'm wrong. But I think it says we are saved by through faith, that not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. And so we're saved by grace. How important does that make grace? If you're saved by grace. How many knows that we could say we're saved by Jesus? That means Jesus is grace. Grace is not a six-week teaching. It's not a, it's not a seminar. Grace is a person, and his name's Jesus. Told you this, you, you know, but there's people that don't know this. So forgive your ears for having to hear it again. But the first time the word grace appears in the Bible, it says Noah found grace where? In the eyes of the Lord. Grace has eyes because grace is a person. And I never heard one single message in over two decades on grace. Not one. And we were, we were kind of, you know, uh, taught in a, in a uh, you know, covert way that you're saved by grace, yes, but you're kept by works. Now that, now that you're saved, now it's up to you to stay saved. And it's contingent upon you. And that makes you your own savior. That's heresy. That's blasphemy. God don't unchild his children. And, 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 and you, we, we have to understand that this lie of separation. Well, I thought that we were separated from God. I know you thought that because that's, that's the foundation of especially American theology. Because now that we got you believing that you, God is separated from you and he's up there, you're down here, he don't really like you. You know, if you Google what was one of the greatest or the greatest sermon ever preached, it will be by Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God. I wish you'd, you know, sometimes if you never read that, you would read the transcript of that message. I've, I've read it to you before. I don't have it for me, but I do remember certain parts. He says you're like a spider that God dangles over the fires of hell. It says, he said in his sermon, God abhors you and cannot even bear to look at you. 
That's what he says. That's the view that people got of God, that that's how God feels about you. That's, that, that's the way it is. That, that is such a lie. And those lies are devastating to people's view. And so what happens is, you know, the proof of that, and I, you may get weary with this, but I, I just want to hit it and move on, is Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, did they not? That makes them sinners now, right? And they sinned. God, before they sinned, came in the cool of the evening and communed in fellowship with them. Am I true to the scripture? After they sinned, did God still come? I thought he couldn't look at sin. I thought they were separated. Or rather, I thought God separated from them. Why did he ever come back to the planet? If that lie is true, then the Bible's it's the wrong story then. Because God still came right on time. He didn't separate from people. Are you with me? God still came. Now, now, what, what I want you to understand is this. Then we go right from that to a murder. We got a murder. Um, there, God's not separated from the murderer, is he? Cain murdered Abel. God's sitting there talking to Cain. Cain is all concerned that people are going to try to kill him now because he killed someone. And what does God do? What's God's remedy? God puts a mark on him, and I don't understand what that is. It just, that's all it says, so we'll just leave it to what the Bible says. But God set a mark upon uh, Cain so that, that he, his life would be spared. That doesn't sound like the God that I was presented. And all through the Bible, we don't see God separate from men that are sinning in a horrendous, horrific way. And yet we grew up being told that we're somehow we've been separated from God and that is the birthplace of religion. But when Jesus says, come unto me, he, he's not telling you to come to my church. I want to shock you maybe with this statement, but God's not a Christian. I said God is not a Christian. I'd like to shock you further. God is not male. God is not female. God is not a Democrat. God is not a Republican. God is not an Independent. God is not a Baptist. God is not a Methodist. God is not a Pentecostal, Charismatic, Nazarene, Tangerine, Assembly of God, Church of God. Four square, round square, no square. God's not any of those things. He's not Catholic. He's not Protestant. He's not Episcopalian. He's not a Lutheran. God is God. John 4 says he's a spirit. God is a spirit. It also says that God is love. God doesn't have love. He doesn't send love. He doesn't mail love. God is love. God can't do anything that is not lovely because God is love. The thing that happens when we sin, like Adam and Eve, they sinned, and all of a sudden this loving, providing God, this gracious God, all of a sudden they're hiding from him and fearful of him. Why did God change? Did God automatically just morph into this, this angry God? No. You say, well, I thought God got mad at Adam and Eve when they sinned and kicked them out of the garden. That's what you heard in Sunday school, but that was the wrong lesson, and that's not in the Bible. God didn't kick them out nowhere. The Bible said it when, when they sinned, God says, says to the Trinity, he says, the man has eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, God didn't say in the day you eat of this tree, I'm going to kill you. That's the way the church teaches this stuff. They imply it if they don't say it. Like you might, oh. God said the day that you choose this over life, you'll die. Don't eat of this. Don't believe the lie. You believe the lie, you empower the liar. Man disobeyed. He believed the lie. He was convinced of the lie. He felt that he was told that God made, you know, is held out from you. God hadn't given you everything you need. That, you know, God's holding stuff from you. God's not as good as you think he is. You know, and so they believe that lie. They, the serpent said, the enemy, the devil said through the serpent, uh, you know, you, you've, you've got to do this. You know, if you do this, then you will be like God. They were already like God. Didn't have to do anything to be like God. They were creating the image and the likeness of God. But yet they believed the lie. 
And what happens is when you sin, you project your hurt, your brokenness, your sin on God. And you create in your mind and head a mythological God of your own making. I said last Sunday that the Bible says that, that, that God created us in his own image and likeness. And I said we've been returning the favor ever since. We have created a God of our own image and our own imagination. Why all of a sudden is Adam and Eve now hiding? They're trying to fix their own problems with fig leaves. How silly, how ridiculous is that approach to deal with your sin? It's called religion. It don't work. It, it, it doesn't work at all. So, so I want you to see that, that to be separated from God, I told you last Sunday, is to deny the incarnation. That's when God became flesh. Uh, the name Emmanuel, again, means what? God what? T to say that God's not with us is to deny God. His name means God with us, Emmanuel. And so you're only separated from God in your own mind. Well, I'm not a Christian, Brother Dale. I'm not saved. And you're not separated either. And you know you're not. Jesus came into our world. We didn't go into his. God became flesh and came here. We, we, we didn't claw our way there. It didn't say, for we so begged that God sent Jesus. It says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. So it's not about you inviting Jesus into your world. Jesus came into our darkness, and he brought his world with him. That's why Jesus said, if you're going to enter into my world, you're going to have to repent. Now, most of the church thinks repent means lay on the altar and cry and beg God and tell him what a worm you are or how sorry you've done or how sorry you've lived. But again, we don't know biblical words. And the word translated repent is the Greek word metanoia, which means change the way you think. So every time in the Bible you see the word repent, it's not like repent, you worm. That's <laughs> not what it means. It means you got to change what you thought you knew about me. And if you change what you think you know about God, then it'll change how you see yourself in the light of that revelation. And then it will also change how you see the world, the other people of the world. And so Jesus came, and over and over it says that. It says, John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, destroy. But Jesus said, I've come. He's the one that did the leaving where he was and came here. I've come that they might have life, and not just have it, but have it more abundantly. Uh, the, Luke 19, 10, he said, I've come. For the Son of Man has come. Aren't you glad he came? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And what was lost? What was lost was that intimacy and that relationship and us being part of the triune God who is in relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit. And so, you're, listen to me. You're not lost to Jesus. You know, the church, they describe, you know, okay, the Christian's here and then the lost. Go get the lost. Go after the lost. And I'm not saying that's wrong. And, but but you're, I just want you to know that if you're listening to me and you're lost, if you think you're in the category of the lost, don't ever believe the lie that God has separated from you. God's right there for you, wooing you, reaching for you, loving you, and he loves you just as much as he does the Christian that's going to church with the Bible in their lap. And in fact, he loves them no, no different and no more. And there's not, listen, there's not one thing. Now, if we, if we believe the Bible, you got to believe that. For while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love for us and died for us. So God doesn't love us anymore. I'm not saying don't, you know, don't believe. I'm, I'm saying, yeah, but, but, but don't, don't misrepresent the, the God. Is, he fluctuates in his love tank based on what you do. He doesn't. And I want to ask you this. If you are the lost, can you really be lost if you don't have a home? Think about that. How can you be lost if you don't have a home? There's two things people ask somebody, like a kid, like if a kid's lost somewhere and the officer walks up to the kid, he's going to say, are you lost? Yes, sir, I'm lost. He's going he's to ask one or two questions. Where your mom and daddy at? Or where you live? Where's your home? And the pain that that child is experiencing in that moment is proof that they have a home and they have somebody that loves them. And the pain that you're experiencing right now in your life 
is proof that you have a home and that you have a father that is calling you home. That pain is an indicator. It's, that pain is letting you know, I, I do have a home. If, if you didn't belong to God, when you hear messages about God, it wouldn't, it wouldn't break your heart. And besides that, why are you listening to me? And why are you here? What are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? That's another proof that you're in your, in your heart of hearts, in the marrow of your bones. You know you have a father. You know you belong somewhere. And you know your life is supposed to be different than presently it is. Your pain is proof that you belong. When you hear messages about God and you hear the songs about God, and that's why you get homesick. Well, this is not your home. <laughs> we're, we're like those disciples in Matthew 14. They're in the boat. Remember, they're in the middle of the sea, it said. Sea of Galilee, a tremendous storm has come up. Jesus was up in the mountain praying, and then in the fourth watch of the night, that means somewhere between like 4 a.m., uh, 6 a.m., Jesus, and it says this in Scripture, it says that Jesus came to them. Jesus went to them, Matthew 14, 25. Jesus came to them. He went to them. Walking on the sea. Jesus is coming in the midst of your darkness, in the middle of your storm, in the middle of all your mess, in the middle of your drugs, in the middle of your sex sins, in the middle of what, whatever your mess is, whatever mine is, Jesus is coming right in the middle of that. Right there. He, and he's coming to you. And so when the disciples saw Jesus, see, the problem is these disciples were no different than Adam and Eve hiding from God for fear in the garden, right? They're hiding from God. Adam, God says, Adam, where are you? Look at what, look what you're doing, son. Have I all of a sudden turned into this creature? Why are you hiding from me? Okay, now the disciples in the storm, here comes Jesus to them. They, they've met him before. They've walked with him. They've been with him. They've seen the miracles. And now he's coming to them. They're in a storm. He knows they're in a storm. He's coming to them. What's their reaction? Verse 26. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Sounds just like the garden. They're experiencing fear. And not fear from the storm, fear from him coming. They're, they're fearing of Jesus. They fear him because they've got a mangled, distorted view of him. When you're in darkness and you're in a storm, you don't see God like you should see God. You don't recognize him. You run from him. Most of us spend our life running from God, not running to God. You run from him. Because you've got a messed up view of God, and it's not because God's messed up. It's because of our darkness and our hurt and our pain and our sin has messed up our view. We're trying to look in a mirror that's been shattered and broken and wonder why everything's all to pieces. It's not really everything. God's not all to pieces. Your view of him is all to pieces. You see him as an angry, vindictive, punitive God. And that's sadly what's been preached from so many pulpits. The, the reason Jesus comes to you in our darkness is because we have value to God. Now there's a lie that says God is good, but I am not. You've heard it. And you very well may be sitting here believing it and thinking that I've got it wrong. Well, Brother Bledel, I, I, I know the Lord's good. God's good. Amen. God's good all the time and all that stuff we hear in church. You know, if I said God is good and didn't, didn't warn you, you'd all, you know, all the time, I'd something you'd said all the time. <laughs> and that's fine. He is good all the time. It's okay to say that. But I'm, I'm also saying to you that that lie that says God is good, but I'm not good, that's a devastating lie. And, and, and it's, I want, listen, and it's believed by the masses, and it's also preached from the pulpits. Now, we have, you and I, saved or lost, we have an inherent value because we are made in the image and the likeness of God. Our value to God is not contingent nor dependent on us. Now listen, if I believe the lie that I am worthless, 
then why should it surprise you that I act like and live like I'm worthless? At least the person that does that is being honest to what they believe. Howbeit they believe a lie, and that is not the truth. You are not worthless, no matter what you're doing. Now, let me ask you this question. Does anything that is not good originate in God? I'm going to give you a moment to think on that, but you're scaring me how long it's taking you to answer that one. I'll ask it again. Does anything that is not good originate in God? No. A resounding no. Couldn't. Because if anything that is not good comes out of God, then that would make the lie that God is good. Because he's not good. And most of religion wants you to know that God is not good as you think he is. And what terrifies, I, I've preached this gospel of grace now for a long time, over a decade, and I've had people say this to me, I really hope that God is as good as you say he is. Can you imagine somebody telling me that? I hope that he is good because I don't want to get my heart lifted up to believe in what you're preaching, that he really is that good and then be let down. I want to tell you this, I cannot over-exaggerate the goodness of God. <laughs> I can try, but I will fail every time. Now, now, Jesus made this statement, and he's talking to this rich young ruler in Matthew 19, verses 16 and 17. And this is where people think that this confirms that we're not good. So this, 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 this uh, rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and he says, Now behold, one came to him, and he said, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? If you don't think this theology is present, just go to a funeral. And you'll hear from in the pulpit, most of the time, people telling you all that the person did good, which is not wrong, but if they put it in the connotation of this is why they're going to heaven, then they have just made a blasphemous error. And so he said, what, what's the good thing that I can do that I'll have eternal life? You know, good teacher. And Jesus looks at him and says, why do you call me good? He said, there, no one is good but one. That's God. Uh, so Jesus was not saying in that statement to this rich young ruler, this is a very specific conversation he had with this one guy. He's not making a broad theological dogmatic, dogmatic doctrinal statement. What he's talking to is this guy, and, and what Jesus is literally saying to this rich young ruler, he said, you know, do you see God in me? Is that what you're telling me? Do you, do you see God in me? Or, or, or is that why you called me good, because you see God in me? Or is, it, or is it still all about performance? See, that rich young ruler did not see God in him. And to that rich young ruler, sadly, it was all about performance and what he did or didn't do. And he missed God standing right in front of him. That's what Jesus was saying. Now, there's no verses in the Bible ever, listen to me, that ever God has never made a statement that you're not good. And I know some of you think he did, but he didn't. Got to give you good Bible study time this afternoon. You'll have to miss your nap, but have at it. There are three verses in, the, in Psalms that says there is none that does good. No, not one. There is none that does good. But God has never looked at his creation and said, you're no good. Now, let me ask you this. What if you walked up and you overheard a parent speaking to their child and saying this to their child? I want you to know that there is nothing good about you. There's not nothing good about you. What would you think of that parent? Yet that statement is made by preachers from pulpits. If you overheard a parent looking at their kid and saying, you're not good, there's nothing good about you, you would be incensed. How, how could they say that? How could they, how could they do that? And yet you accuse God of the same thing. 
that God would look at you and see no value, no, no inherent value in you, and he would say, there's nothing good in you out of my sight, you spider, you worm. I dangle you over hell, like Jonathan Edwards says, as some insect, abhorring you to even look at you. What a false, blasphemous view of God. God does not have a low view of humanity. In fact, he loved this world so much that he gave his life for it. With no guarantee that they would believe his message, believe in his goodness, nor accept his salvation. God does not have a low view of you or your humanity because God knows the truth about you. And God is not fooled by all the lies we've told ourselves nor the lies we've told each other. Jesus is the truth about you. Now, the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, at the end of that chapter, it says God made man. In his image made he them. Male and female made he them. And he blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. It says he gave them all the herbs of the field, and it talks about all the lavish giving that God did. And it said then when God was through, he looked at everything that he had made, and he said that, 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 that everything he had made was very good. God said it's very good, and it says the evening and the morning was the sixth day. God said, I'm done. Got it all done, saved my best to last, created man in my image and likeness, and all man's got to do is step out of the sixth day and step into the rest of the Sabbath. You were made for the Sabbath. You were made for rest because rest is a person and his name's Jesus. Rest from, from religion and rest. That's why Jesus said, come unto me that labor. All you trying, trying to work your way in and strive to get in. and strive. Jesus said, stop all that. Come to me. And when Jesus calls you, you don't hear religion, you hear his voice. He's not calling you to a, to a, to a religion. God didn't leave heaven but come to earth to start a religion called Christianity. Well, ain't you a Christian? Yeah. But I'm not saved because I'm a Christian. When I say I'm a Christian, I just mean I believe in Christ. There's not one place in the Bible that ever told anybody to call another person a Christian. No apostle, no preacher, no Jesus ever called anybody Christian in the Bible. No apostle ever said, I am a Christian. No apostle ever made that statement. Nobody took the phrase Christian as a persona and an identification. Well, where do we get that from? Because it's used three times. One time when Paul was before Agrippa and Felix, these judges, these heathen judges, they were mocking him. And they said, do you dare try to make us to be a Christian? Because the word Christian was a derogatory statement in biblical times. It meant little Christ. That's why Paul said that if anybody suffers by being called a Christian, let them do it as a good soldier. They called me a Christian. Paul said, you'll be all right. You'll be okay. Nobody went around in the Bible wearing that badge. Nobody went around with a T-shirt in Israel going, I am a Christian. Nobody had a Christian bumper sticker nor a fish on the back of their wagon. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with the fish on your car. I'm a Christian bumper sticker. Don't miss the point. I'm simply saying it's not about that. And I've told you before, when I went into Bulgaria many years ago, and we were surrounding, and we're bordered with Turkey, which is Muslim nation. And there where I ministered for that uh, seven to ten days, we had many Muslim people coming to hear me preach. You don't stand up in front of Muslims and say, anybody in here wants to be a Christian, raise your hand. They will chop your head off. Because Christians and Muslims in that part of the world have been killing each other for centuries. So they don't want to be a Christian because Christians have probably killed their family. And Muslims have killed Christians' families. But you can go into an Islamic nation and say, anybody want to know about God, the Father? And they'll go, yes. But don't go in there with your religion. Don't go in there with your placards and your, 
and your pins and your religious stuff. That's, they don't want to know that. Force fields go up. It's okay to be human. The Bible said that Jesus grew in wisdom. How do you grow in wisdom if you know everything? Now, please don't misunderstand me here, and I'm probably too stupid to do this. But I asked, one of, I asked my little six-year-old granddaughter yesterday. She was in my office. And I, I, I said, uh, do you think ever, that Jesus ever made a mistake when he was a little, little guy? And she just thought about that. She said, I don't think so, puppy. And uh, you ain't going to like this. She said, I think he pooted, though. I didn't see that one coming. That's what I get for asking a six-year-old while I'm working on my sermon. And it just, it just killed me. It just. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have told that, but that's what she, it wasn't me. She said it. I didn't say it. But what she was conveying to me, she believed he was fully human. Now, if you got an image of Jesus as a, you know, one-year-old, you know, walking across bathtub water, aggravating his mama, or levitating his toys from one side of the room like the little bewitched girl to the other side. You got a messed up view of Jesus. Jesus was God, but he was also fully human. And so, do, do you ever believe that, listen, that G, do, you, do you believe that Jesus ever made a mistake? Now, hang on before you answer me. I am not saying sin. Get this real clear. Jesus never sinned. He was sinless perfection. He never sinned. You got me? But I'm saying, do you really think that Jesus never stumped his toe as a kid walking, you know, to the refrigerator to get a glass of water in the middle of the night and said, ouch? Do you really think that when he was in school and being taught either by his parents or by other teachers that he never missed a math question? When he was six, you think he always knew the math equations and got all of them right all the time? Do, do, do you never believe as a carpenter that he ever had to cut a piece of lumber twice to get it to fit? <laughs> See, that's how my mind works. And I, I, I don't know the answer to that. But I know this, the Bible says he grew in wisdom. So what does that mean? It means to expect flawless perfection is a denial of our humanity. So you have to decide, was Jesus human or not? Again, he never sinned. But don't ever equate making a mistake with sinning. If a kid gets a math question wrong, that kid did not sin. He didn't come home and say, Mom, I sinned at school today because I got this wrong. No, he just made a mistake. Didn't know everything. The Bible of Jesus, him own self, said he, when he was on earth, he did not know everything. Do you know that's in the Bible? Some of you don't, I can tell. You think I'm going into blasphemy area. Jesus did not know everything, and he says in the Bible that he did not. The disciples asked him, what shall be the end of the age? Jesus said, I do not know. And he actually goes on to clarify that statement. He says, he says, I do not know. He said, not the Son, only the Father knows. Not even the Son. Jesus said, not even me does not know what you're asking. How could that be? Because Jesus was fully human. That's why you and I can call him our example. So pride is a sin that is a denial of being human. So humility is always something that is a celebration of just being a human being. It's okay to say, you know what, I was wrong. Please forgive me, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I, I didn't have all the facts. Or it's okay to ask a question. Wait a minute, I don't understand. It, that's just being human. So what if sin is really not like the church has taught us about performance or behavior of what we do what if it's the way that I taught you and wrote in my book sin is a noun not a verb 
And in most of the New Testament, sin is not a verb, something you do. Sin is a noun. It is an entity. It is a thing. And that is a, an important difference. But most of the church believes sin is nothing more than a verb. It's, some, it's an action. The action is a symptom of what we're doing, of what we believe in. So what if our focus as a church on behavior modification really is just an attempt to treat the symptoms and distract us from the actual disease? Is really what Pastor Keith was alluding to earlier. If you get the root right, the fruit will take care of itself. What we do is we beat the fruit off the tree and we try to turn an orange tree in and, and, and we rebuke it for making oranges when we want it to make apples. And you can spend your life beating on that tree, but until you change the roots, that tree's going to make oranges. That man's going to be addicted. That person's going to believe that lie until their identity comes to the knowledge that God loves you and that God's got better for you. See, the, the Apostle Paul in Galatians made a, 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 a statement that just blew everybody's mind. Paul said in Galatians 1 and 15 and 16, but when it pleased God he sep who separated me from my mother's womb and he called me through his grace to listen to reveal his son in me. Paul said, you know what? I didn't even know Christ was in me until God revealed that to me. He was on a tear for God on Damascus Road and he said, God revealed in me, Christ in me. See, what I want to do is I want to reveal Christ in you. God's not separated from you. Well, I'm not even a Christian. He's still there for you. I, I, what's going to change is when you believe that he's there and you put your faith in him, you're going to be born again. You, you're going to be instantly changed. So, so, so the, in the New Testament, and I'm going to end with this, the Greek word for sin is it's a Greek word that means, it says harmatia, harmatia. It's H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A. -A -A. It's harmatia. And, and, and they translate that into the word sin in the New Testament. And so the word, it's, a, it's made up of two words. So ha, H-A means to, to dis, to like disappoint, dis. And then martia means, it comes from the Greek word miros, which means your form or your origin or your being. So you're dissing your origin when you sin. In other words, the fundamental meaning of sin then is a negation of your origin or your being. You are negating who God called you and created you to be. Man, I feel God on that. That's what sin does. And, and so you, you say, well, I grew up in, my, in the church all the time hearing that sin is missing the mark. And if you Google that, it will tell you the definition of sin is missing the mark. And it is, listen, missing the mark. And I'm not going to debate people that it don't mean one aspect of the meaning is missing the mark. I just gave you the Greek word breakdown, but it, it is missing the mark. But listen to me, but the mark is not perfect moral behavior. But the mark is the truth of your being or your origin and when we sin that's what we're missing we're not going to waste time addressing behavior why don't you just stop that why don't you just put down that bottle why don't you just put down that drug why don't you just quit doing that that junk don't work why don't you just put that bluebell ice cream back in the refrigerator why don't you just put down that fork why don't you, why don't you put that spoon down no, nah, you want to hear that? You want me to stay on the drugs and all that? Just as hard for you to shove that bluebell back in the refrigerator when it calls your name when you walk by? You go, Dale, I'm in here. <laughs> and my wife, you want to meet a drug pusher? Right there, sets one right there. <laughs> Front row. And she knows I've called her that for a lot of time. She'll come in with groceries and start unpacking. I said, you, you just a pusher. You, and she won't eat it. That's why she keeps a little shape. And, and she won't eat it. But I think vicariously she enjoys watching me eat it. <laughs> My, oh, yeah, baby, eat that bluebell ice cream for me. Come on now. Have some of this butter pecan. Is it good? <laughs> and she won't even eat it. And if you ask her, I say, why are you buying that? Well, I'm getting that for the grandbabies. Well, I'm the grandbaby. 
I look like I'm with baby because <laughs> of you. And you know the other day you come to my, they had two for one, and this is butter pecan. I'm putting this in there for you. Did you draw my attention to that or not? And now every time I walk by the refrigerator, I hear, butter pecan, I'm in here. <laughs> she told you I'm in here. Don't forget me. And up to this point, I hadn't cracked the seal on to have a baby. But I'm feeling weak today. <laughs> <laughs> The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. <laughs> Listen, I've done quit preaching now. Yes, sin is missing the mark, but the mark is the truth about who God created you to be and the life that he created you to live in Christ. And sin is anything that negates or diminishes or misrepresents the truth of who you are and who God created you to be. Can you say amen? Stand with me, please. Do you receive it today? Glory to God. Bless the Lord. Love you guys. Appreciate your heart for the word. Man, we're excited about the fall that we're supposed to come in. I'd be excited for some cooler weather. I know we vary on opinions on that, but I sure could use God to leave the refrigerator door open for a while and get a little cool air come by. Got a lot of wonderful things that's coming up, and I hope you mark your calendars for, the, for when they're making the announcements and uh, be part of that. Most of all, I hope you believe in the origin and the beginning and the purpose which God created you. And that you believe the truth that God has never separated from you and he's always loved you. And he's always coming to your darkness. And sometimes when you saw him coming in the middle of your darkest darkness, in your storm, you actually thought it was the devil. You, you, you were terrified. You were troubled. You were afraid. And they, they said, he's a ghost. And that didn't mean a good kind of ghost. It didn't mean they thought that was the Holy Ghost. They thought it was something bad to come in and kill him. And Jesus' reply to that was, be of good cheer. It is me. And Peter really couldn't even believe the Bible. He couldn't believe the word when he heard it said, preached, so to speak. And he said, well, if this is you, and if what that preacher at Grace Point's preaching is really true, then bid me to come to you on the water. And Jesus really simply just said, come. And when Jesus says, come to you, he's calling you to himself. He's not calling you to a to a building or to a denomination or to a religion. He's calling you to himself. But that's why he said, come to me, ye that labor and are heavy laden. And, I, and I'll show you what it is to be rested in me. Cease from your labors, vain religion, performance, all that. I, I, if you're tired, worn out by religion, that's why I love the message translation. If, you, if you're tired and worn out by religion, come to me. And just follow me. I'm not asking you to sign on the dotted line, but just follow me. Watch how I do it, Jesus said. Watch how I live. Hang out with me. That's what Jesus told his disciples, them guys that was fishing. He just said, follow me. He didn't say sign here, get a commitment card, you know, put you. No, just, just hang out with me, live with me, and see if what I'm telling you, see if my world and my life is not better. And I told you, there's a precious man that's here today, and brother, I'm not going to call your name nor illuminate that you're here, and I hope this don't offend you, but I met him last Sunday, and he's here again today, and thank you, sir, for being here. And, and I gave a little illustration last Sunday. I said, I told you about when I was in Nichols many years ago as an evangelist preaching, and, and there was a guy got up to leave, and, and I told you that story, and I just said, sir, stop and come down here, and that guy was delivered of a of drugs, and he was suicidal that very that very night. And, and when when I when that guy gave his testimony that day of his own choice, he said, "I was hearing a voice say to me, get out of here. You don't belong in here with these people.'" And at the very time last Sunday, when I was giving that illustration, this brother that's here now, sitting here, he told me after the service last Sunday that he was hearing that voice at the very same time that I told that story trying to get him to get out of here and to say, was saying that he, he, he's, you don't belong here. And he actually, he, he actually felt that. And that blessed me so good because I didn't have any plans to tell that story. 
but the Holy Spirit's working for every person to reach them at their point of need. And, 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 and I'm so glad that that man, I'm so glad that that precious man didn't listen to that lie and that voice because, in fact, that man did belong here, and he does belong here. And, 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 when, he, and when Father was drawing near to him, yeah, it exposed some pain in his heart, but not because God desired that, but it just illuminated what he needed from Father. And so, and, and that blessed me so good to hear that uh, after the service. Because I know that assures me that it ain't about me up here. The Holy Spirit's just guiding me and helping me. And a lot of times I'll say stuff I never even knew I knew to say. But God's reaching for you. And he loves you. And he's always loved you. And he's always cared for you. And he's always come to you in your darkest, darkest, darkest. He's right there. And he's never separated from you. You separated from him. And religion's told you in your mind that God has always been away from you. And you got to cross the chasm. But you don't. God crossed a chasm that you couldn't cross. And he came and became one of us so that he could save us. To save us from ourselves. Save us from the lie that I don't love you and I've separated from you because of your sin. He never will, never has do that. Amen? And so I'm going to be standing up here. It's my privilege to pray with you, talk with you, shake your hand, say hello. If you're in a hurry, get, go get chicken. Don't trample nobody on the way out. But we do love you guys. Okay? God bless you. We love you. We're here to pray with you if you want us down front. God bless you.